you have your Bibles, turn to Psalm 139. We're going to try to get through this psalm today. <clears throat> and uh, it's, a, it's a blessed passage of Scripture. My sermon is titled this morning, The Gift of Life. And I might ask you the question, how do you view your life? Uh, you observe much on the news. You see a lot of people are very angry. People are very uh, fearful. They're very frustrated. And uh, this morning I read to you the first six verses of this psalm and it talks about the omnipresence of God, and then we're going to see our, our omniscience of God, he know, that God knows everything, and then we're going to see about God always being present, and then we're going to see about God's great power. But the real zinger in, in this passage is found in verse uh, 19 through 22. Let me read it to you. Here... Now remember, the author of the psalm is David, and God characterized David in a couple of ways. One, he says, David, you're a man of war. You cannot build the temple. And then he said, David, you're a man after my own heart. And David someday is going to rule in the millennial kingdom with Christ. So God loved David, but I want you to see David's attitude here. Maybe you and I can identify with this. Now, remember, David is a man of war. Look at verse 19. He says, oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. Now, how many of you have prayed for God to kill people? David did. He says, oh, men of blood, depart from me. David was the warrior. He knew what that was all about. Then he says, they speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. Does it bother you when somebody curses God in your presence? Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? Do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with a complete hatred. I count them as my enemies. Now, I don't know what a complete hatred is. Maybe you just don't like them from the bottom of your feet to the top of your head. There's nothing I like. Now, after you read that, you'd say, boy, David needs an attitude adjustment. Now, you know, this psalm is a wonderful psalm because it takes us from the conflicts of this world and it sets us in the lap of God. And we can see some incredible things here. You know, uh, David is going to make us realize how great God is and how he controls everything of our life. And when you're finished, I hope you agree with David. You know what he, David thought that life was ultimately all about God. And it is. Now, people say, oh, you people over at the LVC, you're just crazy. You're just God this and God that. I have news for you. It's going to be God forever. So it's a good time to get started. <clears throat> and, you know, 
we're going to see this morning that God has a plan and purpose for each of us here this morning. And he declares that each of us will someday stand before him. You know, as you're reading the Bible, sometimes God will let a verse get a hold of you and you can't get rid of it. It's just a verse that keeps, it. you just keep chewing on it and it's good and you let it go. It's like a cow chewing her cud. You'll chew on it, then swallow it, chew on it, swallow it. And like Acts 20, 27, Paul is preaching to the elders in Ephesus. He's telling them goodbye. And one of the things that he says to the elders, he said, I did not shrink or shirk from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Now, your curiosity has to say, what is the whole counsel of God? Well, in brevity, the whole counsel of God or the counsel of God refers to a time in eternity past when the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit determined God's plan forever or for eternity. Now, this is a verse you have a hard time getting your head around. Why? Because God's always existed. He's eternal. So we don't even know when this happened. We just know that Paul said it happened. And we know future. Now, we know some current events from that meeting. Uh, we know, for example, that he determined creation. We know about redemption. We know about justification, adoption, conversion, sanctification, holy living, and glorification. And I still can't get my mind around. God has always existed, and he will always exist. Now, you can go to bed and sleep well with that. It is, it is a thought that we'll work on forever and ever. But we don't want to stop there. I love Romans 8, that whole chapter, but I want to focus in on 28 through 30. Now, a lot of us like verse 28. We know that for, uh, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good to those who are called according to his purpose. For those who love the Lord... We know that everything in their life is going to work for good because it's part of the purpose of God. And then, notice what we find in verse 29. This is God. For who he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. By the fact that you're here this morning means that God made you God has a plan and purpose for your life. And did you see what it's for? To be conformed to the image of his son. God 
put us here so that we might know Christ and reflect him. And then notice what it says. In order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers, those whom he predestined, he called. And another word for calling, that's when I got saved. That's when God woke me up and realized all this stuff had been going on in eternity past, and and now I'm aware of what God's doing. And those whom he called, those whom he saved, he justified. Do you know, as a believer here this morning, because of Christ and his ability to justify, we are just as though we've never sinned before the Father. We've been totally cleared of all charges. And then whom he justified, he's going to complete the job. He's going to glorify you. That's quite an outline, isn't it, of hope. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4, it says, Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. You know, for you and I, we have a hard time stretching our our minds around that. But I'm telling you, an eternal God did a whole lot before there was ever an earth. And he says here, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for the adoption as sons through Christ Jesus, according to the purpose of his will and to the praise and glory of his glorious grace. Do you know, God has a plan and purpose for each of his children. If you go on down a few more verses, verse 11 in that first chapter of Ephesians, it says, In him we've obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. God is going to accomplish and do what he has determined. I love Philippians 1.6. He says, I am sure or being confident of this very thing, he which hath begun a good work in you will complete it at the day of Jesus Christ. Philippians 2.13, For it's God who works in you both to will and to do his good pleasure. You know, in Ephesians 2.10, Paul writes, For we're his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. Now, I want you to remember in Genesis 1, verse 31, God had made the heavens and the earth. He had made the Garden of Eden. He made Adam and Eve. And his conclusion of everything that he had done, he said, it is very good. Not just good, but very good. One of the things the Bible teaches is that God is a good God and everything he created was for good. Now, sin messes that up for us today. We'll catch that in a little bit here. But Notice he says, we're his workmanship. And in the 
New Living Translation, the word workmanship is translated masterpiece. And that really describes what God did in Genesis. Uh, it was, uh, that word workmanship is also found in Numbers chapter 8 and verse 4. You know what it was describing? The artisans that worked on the tabernacle and how God gave men skill to form gold and all that he used to build the tabernacle, and they were his skilled uh, workmen. Notice in the first six verses here, this omniscient God, look at verse 1. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. Now, the psalmist here is just talking about the omniscience of God. What God knows about him, what God knows about you, and what God knows about me. He says, you've searched me, you've known me. He says, you know when I sit down? You know when I rise up? He says, you even know my thoughts from afar. You search out my path, my lying down, and are acquainted with all my ways. You know, sometimes when we pray to God, we don't have to complain. We just have to say, God, you know what happened. <laughs> you, you understand, I'm the one that's struggling about what's going on. Because he knows, even before the word comes out of my mouth, God knows. He says, even in the dark, God knows. He sees. So this is a passage we could spend the whole morning on, but we got to move on. Uh, I love the book of Job because Job said this in Job 12.10, in his hand is the life of ever living thing. Imagine that. In his hand, is the life of every living thing and the breath of all mankind. You know who that includes? Everybody. Somebody can run around, spit on the ground and say, I don't believe in God. It doesn't matter. God is keeping you breathing. God knows who you are. You're in his hand, whether you like it or not. Job 14.5 says, Since his days are determined and the number of his months is with you and you have appointed his limits that he cannot pass. Do you know, God knows exactly how long each of us are going to live. He has a plan and purpose for each one of us. Say, oh, that scares me. Well, it shouldn't. You should be able to relax and know that God is. And he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Now, verse 7 through 12, God is omnipresent. Presently, God is involved in all of creation. 
and in every person's life. You ever hear the term global warming? Say, sure, sure. Well, let me tell you, don't worry about it. God's in control. He made the heavens and the earth, and he knows how it got here. He knows why it's here, and he knows when it's going. You, you see, all of creation and then every one of our lives God knows about. Notice in, in verse 7, I love this. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? And God doesn't say, well, if you don't believe I am, then I'm not here. No, he just says I'm here. God is present everywhere. He is involved in every part of his creation, and he is involved in every person in life. And, and I love this. The psalmist says, well, if I go to Sheol or if I go to the ocean, uh, to the, I just can't hide from you, Lord. Your hand shall lead me. Your right hand shall hold me. You know, he holds everyone. And then he talks about the darkness and the light. And he says, God, you're a light. Deuteronomy 33, 27, Moses said to the children of Israel before they left the wilderness, the eternal God is your dwelling place. And underneath are the everlasting arms. You know what everlasting arms are? They're ever present. God is ever present. And he says, he will thrust you out, and he thrust out the enemy before you and said, destroy. God gave them victory. Psalm 33, 15. He who fashions the hearts of them all and observes their deeds. God knows. God is involved. Isaiah 40, 28 says, Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint. He does not grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. Friends, be careful. One of the things that I think every theological student has to be careful about. Well, I know this and I know that and I've got, I've got a hold of theology proper and all the doctrines. I want to remind you that his understanding, his ways are unsearchable. We will spend all eternity learning about God. You and I are working on the basics right now. Revelation 1.8, 
Jesus Christ is referred to as I am the Alpha, the beginning of the Greek alphabet, and I am the Omega, the last. And friends, without him there is nothing. Now notice, if you would please, uh, verse 13 through 18. That was what I was going to preach on, just those verses, but I couldn't resist doing them all. So hang on now. We're going to speed it up. Uh, we're, We're going to chew big bites. Verse 13. For I formed your inward parts, and you have knitted me together in my mother's womb. Friends, you cannot minimize the reality of the truth. God made me. God doesn't make any junk, and God doesn't make any mistakes. He says in verse 14, I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows this very well. The psalmist praised God for the way he made him. Maybe you've met some of these people I have in my life. Of course, I'm an old man. But I've met people who have been angry at God for the way he made them. For something that happened in their life and they're mad at God. Friends, God doesn't make mistakes. The only mistake is our understanding who he is and what he's doing. And we make a lot of those. He says, my frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret and intricately woven in the deepest parts of the earth. When God was making me, he was overseeing that he didn't make any mistakes. And then notice verse 16. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. Unformed. In your book were written, every one of them, in the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. God has a book. This book is called the book of life, the book of the living. And before you were ever born, before I was ever born, God created me. He put my name in the book, and he knew about my nose, my toes. He knew the whole thing. He put it in the book of life. And he is a good God, and everything that he does is for good and a good purpose. And notice, he says he wrote them down in his book, and then The psalmist just says, how precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. And if I would count them, they're more than the sand of the sea. You know what that verse tells you? As a Christian, 
one who knows there is a God, one who knows you'll spend eternity with Christ. You need to be a thankful person. Did you see that? If I could count them, they are more than the sands of the sea. Do you think of all the things we have to thank God for? All of his goodness and all of his grace. And, and then he says, I awake and I'm still with you. What a reality of his presence. You know, just a couple of things I want to hit here because I think it's very important. Today in our culture, uh, we hear a lot about gay marriage, gay lifestyle, etc., etc. Let, let me just tell you, God did not make a mistake when he made you. The reality is, an eternal God, before you were ever in your mother's womb, determined who you're going to be and what you're going to be. And he has a plan and purpose for that. And then you think about God in creation. He made man and he made woman. And one thing that's very clear from that, both male and female were equal before God Almighty. And both man and woman are going to give an account to God. So there is equality before God. And the interesting verbiage there in the text is they bear the image of God. God is going to be glorified through male and through female. And you know, when people ignore that, Romans 1 26 and 27, call uh, an alternative lifestyle shameful, unnatural, and a perversion. These are distortions of God's divine design for humanity. Romans 1.25 puts it this way. People exchange the truth of God, about God for a lie and worship and serve the created things rather than the creator. Friends, do you realize how blessed we are? The creator tells us how we got here, tells us he has a plan and purpose for our life. And people who do not want to acknowledge that Make his truth a lie. I want to say one other thing while I'm on this subject. We have polarization of male and female in our culture. People talk about sexual identity. And I want to remind you that God is neither male or female. What'd you say? I say he's God. He's the creator of heaven and earth. He doesn't fall into the category of male or female. I think it's interesting in Isaiah 49, 15, God is called a nursing mother. In Isaiah 66, 13, in his comforting of Israel, he comforts as a mother comforts her child. Description of God's compassion. In the Bible, 
God is primarily presented as a male. Jesus taught the church to address God as Father. You know, when people get confused about being gender specific, believing what God said, I want to remind you of 1 Corinthians 6 11. It's a scripture of hope. It says, and that is what some of you were, and it's listing some of the things that we just talked about. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Friends, as long as anybody's alive on this earth, they draw breath, they have the opportunity to make things right with the God of heaven. They can have peace through the Lord Jesus Christ. Then, I want to talk about the book of life or the book of the living. I don't have time to go through all the study on the books, but there are a couple of passages that I think will help us get to study. I love the passage in Daniel chapter 7, verses 9 through 11. Daniel, God is revealing to him. Now imagine, five to 700 years ago, 500 years ago, before Christ came, and then we got another 2,000, so we got about 2,500 plus of years ago, God told Daniel this, and then I'm going to read what God told John as he wrote the book of Revelation. God told Daniel, I looked, the thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days took a seat. That's a description of God. His clothing was white as snow, the hair of his head like pure wool, his throne was a fiery flames. It wheels, its wheels were like burning fire. A stream of fire issued, came out from before him, and a thousand thousands served him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. Now in Hebrew, that was the way they would say an innumerable multitude. 10,000, it's just a big group. They stood before him and the court sat in judgment and the books, B-O-O-K-S, and the books were opened. God showed Daniel this. Now listen to what he showed John, the apostle. Verse, Revelation 20, 11. Then I saw a great white throne, and him who sat upon it, from his presence the earth and the sky fled away. Can you imagine this throne and the earth and the sky disappear? And no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and the books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. The one David talked about. 
in Psalm 39, 139. And the dead were judged by what were written in the books, plural, according to what they had done. You know, I feel sorry for people who, who blaspheme God, who ignore God and say, God, I, I've talked to people and they'll say, well, I'm not worried. When I see God, I'll take it up with him and I'll tell him. I have news for them. They'll be quiet. Not going to be telling God anything. He's going to be speaking to you, and you will be listening. And then it says, And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, death and Hades gave up the dead which were in them, and they were judged, each one according to what they had done. This great white throne judgment is the judgment of all unbelievers throughout all of history. And then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire and the second death. Now listen to the last verse, verse 15. And if any man's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. You get the picture? When we're created, our name's in the book of life. By the time judgment comes, a bunch of people are not in the book of life. Now God gives us a little knot hole to look through. And that little knot hole is found in Revelation 3, verse 5. Paul, or John, talking to the seven churches. Now, the one who conquers, or literally overcomes, will be clothed with white garments. And he says, I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I confess his name before my father and before his angels. Friends, God knows when, and why and who he will blot out of the book of life. Let me read further. Are you looking through the little hole here? Revelation 3.21. The one who conquers or literally overcomes, I will grant to him to set with me on my throne, and I, will also, I also conquered or overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. Now, John gave us the answer to this question. In 1 John, he wrote that too. Chapter 5, verse 4 and 5. Yeah, we've got it up there. Uh, For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that overcomes the world. Our faith. Now look at the last verse 5 there. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Friends, when you put your faith in Christ, you will never be blotted out of the book of life. And you will never be judged for all your sins. Isn't that amazing? 
a book that's written centuries and centuries ago. God told David some incredible things, but we have to hurry because I'm out of time. But I can't let you go without the good stuff. I told you, David was very angry. And he found peace in the omniscience of God. He found peace in the omnipresence of God. He found peace in the, uh, that God is all-powerful. And then look at verse 23 and 24. Now, I don't have time to read this, all this today, but you write these verses down. Psalm 86, 11 through 17 David is, has a prayer here to the Lord, and it's very similar to this one, but we're getting the, the, the high points of his prayer. Look at verse 23 and David's prayer. Now, this is amazing. When a guy was so angry, and then he's got such deep thoughts about God, look at his prayer. May this be our prayer. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Telling an all-knowing God to do what? Examine me, God. Try me and know my thoughts. And if you see any grievous way in me, and some translations say any wicked way in me, if you see anything that's not right, God, Lead me in the way of everlasting. Now, you know, isn't it amazing when you stop and think God has a plan and a purpose for your life, your life for every one of our lives here. And when we recognize that, that our hope is in Christ, all of a sudden we want to be conformed to him we want to be the person. We want to be the light. We want to be the life that God created us to be. And David, a man after God's own heart, cried out, God, search me and know me. I hope you'll pray that today. I want to pray that today. Try me and know my thoughts, God. You know, God, if I'm thinking crazy, get me in line. If you see any grievous way in me, lead me in the way of everlasting. You know, one thing I am sure of is that every person here, God made you, he's given you life, and you are going to stand before him. Isn't that amazing? And we want to say, Lord, you are so good. I'm going to be like the psalmist. I can thank God and thank God, and there's still more to thank God for, like the sands of the sea. Understand who he is. Understand that he has a plan and purpose for your life. And folks, just be what God wants you to be today. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your goodness and your grace. We thank you for this incredibly powerful passage of Scripture, the omniscience of God, 
that God is always present, that he's always powerful. And Lord, we thank you that you're able to search us and know us and help us to turn from our sins and follow a living and a risen Savior. Lord, we thank you that Jesus Christ came to earth to show us as human beings what God was like, what God is like. So I pray that you would work in each of our hearts. Draw us unto yourself, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.